Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you shining man? Every now and again, some football man or other throws out a half-baked idea he thinks is going to change the game. Scrap the offside rule, says Marco van Basten. Have a World Cup every two years, according to Sepp Blatter back in the day. Usually pretty harmless stuff, I'm sure you'd agree. But what about legalising football hooliganism and turning it into a spectator sport? How does that float your boat, Murph and Ken, on Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast? Hey, hey, Owen. Um, Hi, Owen. Seems like a rather strange idea. You look scared. You don't have to get involved necessarily, don't worry. Well, if you are thinking of travelling to Moscow for the World Cup next year. I certainly don't think that I have representative levels of <laughs> talent in this area. Igor Lebedev represents... Well, actually, before I explain who he is, do you remember this guy? Does anyone remember Igor Lebedev from the Euros? Yes, Owen, I know Igor Lebedev. Go on. Uh, he is <clears throat> a Russian politician who is the son of Vladimir Zhirinovsky, a more famous Russian politician who made a name for himself as a, uh, as a firebrand in the 90s, um, Russian man strong like bear. And uh, he would say all kinds of crazy things about how he's going to wipe America off the face of the earth with nuclear weapons and, you know, all this kind of macho stuff. So I think um, little Igor is uh, keen to make a name for himself, (laughs) to sort of step out of the uh, imposing bear-shaped shadow of uh, Papa. Uh, So this kind of... uh, this kind of talk, which isn't the first time uh, during the, the Euros, I think you were saying. Only. Yeah, well done, lads. Keep it up, was his response to the Russians targeting not just English hooligans, hooligans Ken, but you, poor Ken, sitting in that Irish bar in Marseille, yeah, getting I don't, hounded and attacked by Oh, I, I don't think that was the Russians on that occasion. I think oh. that was the, the Marseillaise. Oh, Mar- I don't know if Marseillaise is the, is the <laughs> word. is for, for people from Marseille, I'll, I'll stick with it, though. L- little Igor is, he represents the opposition Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, and he's a board member of the Russian Football Union. So a pretty big hitter in the intertwined worlds of sports and politics in Russia. They do host the World Cup, obviously, in 2018. He's drawn up rules for draka, the Russian word for fight, which he said would involve 20 unarmed competitors on each side in an organised brawl. This was published on his party's website. He says Russia would be a pioneer in a new sport. Fans arrive, for example, and start picking fights, and they get the answer, challenge accepted. A meeting in a stadium at a set time. (laughs) Yeah, um... Uh, did you see the thing? The BBC had a documentary about Russian, the kind of Russian hooligan scene a few weeks back. No, I heard about it. I haven't seen it. It was quite interesting, actually. I mean, there was obviously a lot of uh, what does this mean for England type of stuff. You know, it was a documentary for a documentary for the BBC. And there was, you know, various Russians sitting there with flags and balaclavas and whatnot over their faces saying, uh, we're waiting for you. But But really, the the more interesting aspect of it is this kind of domestic scene that Russia has. I mean, England is not really relevant to it. Um, it's it's this kind of, uh, you know, culture of of men. Uh, I, I was about to say young men, but actually there's a few of them are kind of definitely more middle-aged than young, uh, getting, uh, for, you know, sort of finding their identity through 
you know, joining little groups, um, working out in the gym, uh, learning MMA, and then driving to an a undisclosed location, you know, somewhere out in a field and meeting another group of like-minded men and um, leathering into them. A lot of them seem to have MMA training or some sort of martial arts training. Well, best of luck to you, Owen, if you don't have MMA training in the uh, world of Russian hooligan uh, organized yeah. brawling. In this new sport, I think Russia might be the hot favorites in this new sport being invented by I, their, I one think, of their ministers. I think they could even win this World Cup, Owen. <laughs> this is the only World Cup Russia have any chance of winning, uh, possibly without even having to dope that much. <laughs> Although I don't know how much, um, how closely that is policed. In the, I think the scene may already have developed a certain culture. Uh, which, you know, if WADA were to suddenly get involved and start sticking their oar in, mm. I don't know, it, it could weed out some of the best men, uh, which, which nobody wants... You have to wants, fail a test. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to see happen. Um, I mean, it's kind of... It is really grim. I mean, the, the program was, was grim. To see this kind of widespread culture of guys who, like, have nothing more in their life than fighting, and how seriously they take it, and how deeply pathetic the whole scene is you know it's just oh i mean i've seen ross kemp in poland don't worry i've seen documentaries <laughs> on hooliganism your heart would almost break for these guys yeah. you know and, and their fight the fight was so pathetic they they actually did film a fight you know they went out to the to a field and you know with their their boys and the guys are so excited beforehand they're jumping bouncing around and then they meet the other guys and they kind of stand there shyly you know looking at each other and then it's sort of charge you know they, they like a first date or something they run they run yeah there's seven or eight of them on each side i guess and they run into each other and then they sort of start grappling and they kind of pair off and and you know you can see you're kind of like i'm not really sure how to watch this there's so many things there's so many different fights happening you know what i mean it's just like you know uh eight separate hugh grant versus colin firth uh fights from, <laughs> it was maybe a bit more vicious than that you know but i mean for all the training that that is done all colin the f- firth through throws hugh grant out a window okay it doesn't get any more vicious than that <laughs> all someone the- definitely gets thrown through a window I don't know <laughs> you can't remember which one of them yeah. it is but but you can you remember how tired they get and his yeah. well you can see that like everybody immediately gasses <laughs> <laughs> and like for all the training they've been doing physically and technically it's really it's sad to see i mean obviously see some guys just break down completely and they end up with it with another guy kneeling on their chest pounding their head you know uh, and and gradually one side starts to outnumber the other side so that that's usually the, the point at which the critical moment of the fight is reached and one side just has too many men left standing and they beat them up. and then obviously they get up and they they embrace and hug each other and uh respect is born between them you know and you're just like is this Oh, I don't know. Is this all there's left now <laughs> in the land of Tolstoy? This is what we're left with now. But um, I suppose it's being encouraged by the um, by the government, by by the whole setup there. You know, traditional masculine roles. We don't want anyone listening to any gay propaganda or anything unconventional. It's very important, as we said, for a Russian man to be strong like bear. But modern society just leaves you so few options for that. I mean, what what can you do? You know, you're you you go to metro. You know, you can't even you can't throw neighboring man onto tracks without you know the police <laughs> coming down. And you you know you go you you go to to get bowl of borscht, and you have to stand in queue. You know, you can't fight your way to the front of the queue. You know, cutting throats. Or you, or you'd expect the police to have a word. You know, so so these kind of uh, masculine uh, traits need an outlet, and uh, it appears as though football hooliganism is is a growth area. I'm hoping for a bit less violence on March 16th. That's Thursday week at our big live show in London. That's right, after years of big talk, we're finally doing a show in the UK, in London, for the very first time. It's going to be in the beautiful Kennedy Hall in Camden, to be precise, March 16th. We're going to be building up to what will hopefully be a Six Nations decider between Ireland and England. The good news, the show will be podcasted for you. The bad news, if you're hoping to go along, that is, we've already sold out because our wonderful UK-based World Service members snapped up all those tickets within just a matter of hours of the announcement of the show last week. If you aren't signed up to the World Service already, but you like the sound of advance notice on tickets for all live events, not to mention a minimum of six podcasts a week, you can get onto secondcaptains.com for all the details on how to join up. Miguel Delaney is going to join us from Arsene Wenger's press conference at Arsenal's training ground in London a little bit later on, right after today's report on sport. Well, Owen, I'm, I'm just... 
confused. I don't know what's going on anymore. Uh, I mean, the stories that, that emerged last night of a big bust up at Arsenal's training ground at least made sense of a few things. I mean, you, it was like the missing piece of information which once provided was like, yeah, I think uh, that does help to explain some of the things that we've just seen this weekend. But Arsene Wenger's just done a press conference. We're going to talk to Miguel Delaney, who's who's been at that. Arsene Wenger's just done his press conference because they have to play Bayern Munich tomorrow. And he said, nothing happened. It's all made up. This is fake news. You are fake news, Arsene Wenger said. Uh, there was no bust-up. And uh, <laughs> uh, I can't just... I can't believe this is happening. Well, Arsene Wenger surely is saying there's no bust-up to protect his player in this case, a player who is a bit combustible at the moment. Yeah, but it's it's just nonsense. I mean, why is he pretending that this that this didn't happen? I, I, I can't make any sense of it. Okay, okay so what has, what supposedly happened is that um, Alexis Sanchez, as we know, has been in a bit of a bad mood recently. I mean, we say as we know because we've all seen it. Anyone who's watched Arsenal's games has seen it um, on numerous occasions. I mean, we were, we were speaking about it, the Bournemouth game. Remember the three-all, Sanchez's reaction to the three-all. Everyone in Giroud is jumping about. Mm-hmm. Um, Sanchez is is doing this Suarez at Crystal Palace, you know. This is the end. Uh, Swansea, he subbed off. They were winning. Wenger wanted to give Welbeck a run. Sanchez blows his top, stomps about. Um, stamping his little feet on the sideline, puts his coat over his head. You know, he can't bear to, uh, he can't even bear to watch uh, anymore. Uh, Bayern Munich, uh, Sanchez is is pointing the finger at all of his teammates, screaming at them, why are you all such, why why must you, um, it, it dishonors my balls that they're out here on the same field as you 10 guys. Was, was well, His balls are on the same field as we- Sanchez's balls. They've been disrespected. They've been dishonoured by their association with these uh, guilty by association, tarred with the same brush as your Oxford Chamberlains, your Monreal's. Can't remember if Monreal actually played. No, Gibbs played. Gibbs was the captain, of course, as Roy Keane mm. said. You're in big trouble. <laughs> when Gibbs is your captain, you're in big trouble. Kieran Gibbs, 37 years old. <laughs> so, um and okay, so so it was clear that that you know not all was rosy in the garden. But the idea of actually leaving him out, which Arsene Wenger did on Saturday, is insane. Arsene Wenger sent out a team to play Liverpool at Anfield that had scored seventeen goals in the league between, and that's as many goals as Sanchez had scored. Sanchez scored seventeen goals in the league, which is more than twice as much as the next Arsenal player, which I think is Walcott and Giroud. He's got nine assists, which is twice as many as the next best Arsenal player, which is Ozil and. Oxford Chamberlain. He's by far the best player in the team. Yeah, but he's a tiny little fella, Ken, and Wenger wanted to play long balls. Okay. Now, on, on the subject of him being a tiny little fella, it is true that he is he is a tiny little fella when you stand him next to either Olivier Giroud or one of his Labradors. You know? A friend of mine actually sent me a picture of, of Sanchez playing with one of his dogs, and the dog was kind of standing up with his paws on Sanchez's chest. And he said, look at the size of that dog. I said, no, Sanchez is actually just really tiny. That is a normal-sized Labrador. But it looked like, you know, a, a kind of a, a prehistoric uh, saber-toothed hound, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was just a golden retriever. Uh, but Sanchez uh, is still, nevertheless, much better in the air than Olivier Giroud. Um Imagine that you were a goalkeeper kicking the ball out and you had to kick the ball to a striker who was standing in the in the opposing half, the opponent's half, right? You've got much better chance of getting it to Sanchez than Giroud. You have to be so accurate with Giroud. To get to, for Giroud to win an aerial ball like that is akin to, I won't say a hole in one, like the goalkeeper has to hit a hole in one, but it's definitely like an eagle. You know what I mean? He has to, he has to be that accurate with his with his shot off the tee to get for Giroud to have a chance. Because Giroud, if it's not in that small area surrounding his head, which admittedly is higher off the ground than Sanchez's head, it's just not going to get to that ball. Whereas Sanchez might get to the ball. You've got a much bigger... You can drop that ball in a bigger area and there's a chance that he'll be there challenging for it. Now, your big man striker, unless he's a complete beanpole who doesn't move, 
is going to be mobile enough to get around a 10 or 15 yard radius. Well, the shorter way to say that sentence is if, if he's not Olivier Giroud, he's going to be able Olivier, to get around. You're Olivier Giroud bashing those Nobels. Well, look, I'm, I mean, Arsene Wenger is the man who's been leaving him out for most of the games this season. Now, I looked at the the uh, statistics when, when Wenger was saying this about the direct ball. I thought, this is, this, is, this is ridiculous. I mean, there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, okay, they did play more direct, a little bit more direct than usual. Um, if you look at Arsene, uh, at Petr Cech's passes from the game, 35 passes attempted, 29 of them landed in the Liverpool half. So that's a lot. That's, you know, what, nearly six, it's more than six out of seven passes to go along. Um, and if you're playing against Liverpool, that is a, that's a sensible strategy. I mean, it's, it's, it was what Guardiola did against Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund, you know, put Javi Martinez up front, kick the ball over them. They're all rushing forward, trying to win the ball in our half. Okay, we'll kick the ball over them and you know, let's see what they do then. Uh, Mourinho and Manchester United did the same thing in the in the game at Old Trafford in January, um, well, particularly in the second half when they put on Fellaini and said, "Look, let's just let's just kick the ball over the press." It's not really about a try, you know, a, a strategy that says, "Okay." this is the best way for us to get possession. Because most of the time, Giroud is not winning those passes, is not winning those balls. It's difficult for a striker to win the ball and give it to a teammate. You're just avoiding getting dispossessed in a dangerous area. Exactly. That's, that's, that's totally what it's all about. It's, it's about basically, okay, let's start the game up there behind their midfield so they're not going to win it straight in front of our box and score. So it's kind of risk aversion rather than we think this is the best way to build an attack. So, okay, that's, that's, that all makes sense. Against a team like Chelsea... They played, remember they lost to Chelsea you know, a few weeks ago. It was the opposite way from Czech. So this is something, this is like a, a setting that Arsene Wenger changes. People say he, he never changes tactics. Actually, he does. This is one setting that he changes. Kick it long or kick it short, right? Against Chelsea, it was near, nearly all Czech's passes were to guys just around his own penalty area because Chelsea don't try and win the ball there. Chelsea just wait for you to come to their half and win it there and then hit you on the counterattack. So, okay, so far, so so plausible the problem with it is that number one as we, as we said Sanchez is going to probably win more balls than Giroud anyway and in fact when he came on they did the, the, when, when Sanchez played in the second half the proportion of long balls Arsenal won was, was much higher than in the first half they were more effective at doing the same thing with him there than they were with as it was uh, Coquelin but the other thing is that Arsenal actually played plenty of long balls so this is like um you might think Arsenal just play short passing, build up all the time. That's that's what Arsene Wenger is about. Th- those are his cherished values. Petrček is always booting the ball along. So look back at a few of their previous games. And then, okay, so four of their previous games: Swansea, Bournemouth, Hull, and whatever the other one was. Um, more than half of Czech's passes are into the other half, and I'm just counting ones that actually land in the other half, not ones that are nearly till halfway. Mm. And more so. They're actually their build-up from the goalkeeper is usually quite direct, and Sanchez always plays. He plays in all, he played in all those games and he scored in all those games. The idea that you would use this as a reason to that that you say, okay, we want to play more direct, therefore I'm going to leave out my best player. It's just so insulting. It's insulting to the intelligence, you know. Particularly, I imagine of Sanchez. He's in there going, what? What? Yeah, but I think this all ties into saying his the fact that he refused to confirm the fact that he denied there was any training ground bust up the fact that he says no I didn't drop him it was a tactical decision but I did drop him but it was for an obvious tactical decision I think everybody can see through both of those explanations Mm. clearly there has been a bust up of some form Fenger probably isn't happy with the way Sanchez has been conducting himself knows that Sanchez might leave the club whether or not Fenger does he probably will anyway but He's he's just in a delicate situation, and it it seems that he doesn't quite know how to handle it. He doesn't want to alienate this player any further, as in any further. Th- like dropping Sanchez is the ultimate way to alienate him. But you're rubbing salt in the wounds if you're going out publicly and saying, "Yeah, the reason I dropped him is because before any of you journalists on this Sunday evening go and find out what happened during the week, I'm going to tell you there was a training ground bust up, yeah. and he stormed off, and he, the, uh, the rest of the team were pissed off at him. If he committed and said all, he could have committed and said all that, yeah. but. Yeah, but then he's like, see you later, Arsenal, from Alexis Sanchez's point of view. Not necessarily. Um, not. I mean, that 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 may be the case. Alexis Sanchez is going to leave Arsenal. I think, you know, no matter what. Uh, I think this makes this makes it more likely. This these events, and I think 
the way that it's been handled is, has almost been the worst possible outcome for Arsene Wenger. He drops the guy for disciplinary reasons. I mean, forget the tac- tec- technical mm-hmm. tactical. I mean, he referred again to this direct football stuff um, today. It's it's still nonsense. So forget forget that nonsense. Um, he dropped the guy for disciplinary reasons. But then, after the team goes in 2-0 down at halftime, he turns to the guy and says, please save us. You know, it's path- it's pathetic. Wasn't it's it, pathetic. It wasn't exactly a hardline disciplinary uh, procedure there. No, it's it's like, well, okay, we, we, we need you more than you need us. It's official. Now, get changed and try and rescue this game for us, big man. You know what I mean? Little it's, big man. It's just ridiculous. Whereas if you are going to make a disciplinary point, if you're going to stand up to a guy because his attitude is bad, he shouldn't even be in the squad. Yeah, I agree with you there. David Beckham did did this before. I mean, it wasn't even his. What did he do? He he said that he had to stay home and mind the baby. And Ferguson made him sit in the stands at Elland Road, right? <laughs> Elland Road. <laughs> you don't want to make that trip if you're a United player unless you're playing. Beckham's distinctive blonde bob, sitting there in the director's box within. Uh, Easy earshot of <laughs> three thousand leads fans. <laughs> I mean, you know, he 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 didn't forget that. that. I mean, there, there are plenty of examples of this. But if you are going to make a point, if you're going to stand up against a player and discipline him, you can't then buckle at halftime and say, "Please bail us out." It's just the word. It proves that he's the one. He's the one who has the power. You know? I, seem, I seem to recall an NFL player, quarterback of some description, getting into some horrendous scrape. And the manager's decision was to not allow him to take the first snap of the first move of the game. So basically, he the, the he was replaced for one play, which lasted f- seven seconds. And it was like, right, okay, but, you know, I hope you've learned your lesson, sir, and get the hell in there now and win us the game. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like if you're gonna if you're gonna make a symbolic punishment, I don't know. He has to wear a bandana with a with like a baby on it. Like a, a little a, a crying baby on his bandana, and he's forced to wear that during the game. I don't know. I mean, he can play; it doesn't affect anything else. He just is, does this sl- slight symbolic humiliation. Okay, but the idea of oh, I'm going to put you back in your box, and then turning around and saying, "Please, please help us! Come on, you can't. This is can you, this is just ruining whatever sh- authority you've got left. This is terrible. It's ridiculous." Then there's the question of why did this bus stop happen? You know, in, in terms of I don't actually see anything really to criticise. Maybe a couple of details, but I I kind of think that if you take Alexis Sanchez's career at Arsenal since the day he arrived there, he has been the, their best player. He has been the player with the best attitude. He is the player who is by far the most popular with the supporters there because. The truth of it is there on the field. Everybody can see. It's not about what happens at the training ground. It's not about like the, the politics or who's friends with who or whether he's ruffling the feathers of senior players or whether he's you know being disruptive in the hierarchy. The truth is there in the matches. This guy is the best player. If Arsenal had more players like him, they would have won the, they would have won the league last year. Okay, he didn't actually have the, the greatest season of his career last year, but he, you know, he still scored 17 goals, I think, for Arsenal. Um, but nobody likes being called out in public, as the other players essentially are being on a fairly regular basis now by Sanchez. Well, Maybe they, they deserve it. Well, they were being called out in private. So, oh, you mean you mean being called out in public by his stropping, uh, by his uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, his showy. Showy, showy displays of displeasure. Well, maybe they, maybe they need to start playing a bit better. You know what I mean? The, 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 the obvious solution for them there is to maybe try and uh, put a bit more intensity into what they're doing, as opposed to what they did. When Sanchez was there. He, he was in the stand. He wasn't able to embarrass them with his, you know, washing their dirty linen uh, out, out on the pitch in Anfield. He was watching. He got he got to see just what was going on in Arsenal when they have to defend. You know, the, I mean, you saw the goals that they conceded. Mm. First goal, a goal kick, drops in behind Arsenal's midfield. None of him make any effort to get the ball. Koscielny misses it. Okay, Koscielny goes for it. But he he's got to do that because because nobody else has done it. He misses it. Suddenly Liverpool have three on three, and then it's four on three why is it still why is it still three why is it still the reason it's still three is that Arsenal, all the Arsenal players are uh, the Arsenal midfielders are just jogging back and watching what's happening you know if you see the, the goal for, remember the, the ball comes through from Mane Firmino touches the ball and he's got all the time he needs to kind of check back and then 
Okay, the goalkeeper's gone down, so I'll put this hind in there. I, I think this is like a very interesting... You know, you see this in a lot of other sports, quite apart from football, like a morality tale about a player who gets too big for his boots and takes on the manager and basically loses sight of what it is to be a member of a team blinded as he is by his own excellence. Mm. You see this in a lot of sports. This is basically the the one time when you can say like everything that you everything that you know about this points towards Alexis Sanchez being absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do you very rarely see that in any other sport that a player who walks off a training ground and then gets dropped for a game has I would say the support of pretty much everyone looking at it from the outside. Yeah, the, absolutely. Because, you know... It, it, All of the things that have to happen for for the player to have almost unanimous support in the public have happened in this particular case. Yeah. And I mean, you, you know, you could look at it and you could say maybe he, he does need to be more respectful. But why should he be at this stage? It's a, such a culture of mediocrity there. Somebody needs to... Confronted, he's he's standing up and confronting it, and it's like it's embarrassing to the others. They, they they don't like it because it embarrasses them. It's it's a it's an indictment of of their work, and obviously they don't like it, you know. And and so he had this row and training, and people were saying, "Oh, Alexi, you know, you want to um, stop being such a baby here? You know, we've got like rules and regulations in this club. You don't talk to people like you know. Come on, come on. Everyone can see what's actually going on here." Uh, I mean, there is this, there, there was a piece by John Cross, and, and you should pay attention when John Cross writes these types of analysis pieces about Arsenal, because, you know, he he does have good sources within the club. And it's sort of his, his analysis piece today was saying some kind of amazing stuff. You know, insiders believe his levels have dropped in training. His disaffection and attitude is in serious danger of spreading to other members of the squad. And that is why Wenger has had to take action. And I'm like, I'm living in upside down land. <laughs> you know, he's the last 18 matches, 12 goals, is it uh, eight assists, or it's 12 goals and nine assists in, in the last uh, 18 games. I mean, this cancer must not spread to other members of the Arsenal team. Imagine the situation they could be in then if, if this attitude was to, in serious danger of spreading to other members of the squad. It says, John Cross continues. And remember that John Cross is, is writing what people tell him inside the club. He's not just making this stuff up, right? He says, this, after all, is a player who gets angry about being substituted, demands to start every game, and has even gone 48 hours after being hooked without uttering a word to Wenger. <laughs> it has, according to sources, become like managing a spoiled schoolchild. A spoiled schoolchild who scores, you know, two goals every three games and, and is the most creative player in your team besides. This, this whole thing about angry about being substituted wants to play every game. What what is the difference between that and, and Lionel Messi? Can you not do all that though? Can you not play and score all those goals and play so well while being a model upstanding citizen within the squad? No, he's is, probably is, been is, is it mutually exclusive. But he's been doing that for three years. He and can't. He's going to give this a whirl now. You can't do that, and the reason that you can't do it is because it's because Alexis Sanchez is clearly a totally unreasonable man. He is completely unreasonable. His his self esteem and self image is is unreasonably bound up with competing in and winning football matches. It's a deranged way to look at the world. He, he, has, a, he has a very, you know, a, um, a kind of a marginal grip on sanity. But that is why he is the way he is. And you could say that about so many other of the best players. I mean, we were talking, you know, Roy Keane is an obvious example of this. How could you possibly think this stuff was so important? Because you're kind of a lunatic. You know, Luis Suarez, the same type of attitude... You know what? It's 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 a it's a fundamentally irrational way to look at the world that these people have these kind of great sort of fighting players who are the kind of super competitors. They are not reasonable people. They're not. It's not like you can sit them down and explain the situation, and because that's just not the way that they are. It's like no, uh, you know, for Alexis Sanchez to be dropped for an Arsenal match, particularly when you look at the guys who come in, it's not like he was when he was at Barcelona, you know. <laughs> but it's like an incomprehensible humiliation to him. Even to be subbed off, he doesn't want to be subbed off. Why are you subbing me off? Sub someone else off. Take, take somebody else. You know, Wenger has talked about him before. He always says he's, he's fit to play even when he's injured. Now, that's a great attitude for a manager. It's not realistic. It's not rational. 
but it's a brilliant attitude to have for players. You want as many players. Well, not as you couldn't have a team where everybody was like that. They would just be. They would go crazy, but it's good if you have a couple of guys like that who are providing kind of emotional energy and drive, who are actually unreasonable about how, how badly they want to win. Sanchez is one of those guys, and he, it appears that he's the guy, he's the guy at Arsenal whose face doesn't fit. A lot of those qualities you just described there, Ken, could probably be used to sum up Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who was certainly acting unreasonably, or was he at the weekend? Did he have reason to throw that elbow into the head of poor Tyrone Mings? Um... What's the uh, what's the word uh, for for what's that? Uh, Lex talionis, uh, the old law, and the ancient law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, an elbow for a stamp. You can some certain things are are uh, you know ex- exchangeable, uh, convertible in that way. He looked to the law for retribution. And the law failed him. <laughs> the law failed him. So he took the law, like a character in a Cormac McCarthy yeah. novel. He took the law into his own hands and elbows and I- meted it out. Igor Lebedev would be proud. Oh, Igor Lebedev, I'm sure, is a big fan of Zlatan. I mean, as, as, as many of us are. But, you know, I mean, it's... It, it, the, Obviously, the, the problem was the referee, Kevin Friend, who kept getting everything wrong. I mean, it was a confusing kind of melee of a situation uh, that he lost control of and, and misinterpreted. Somehow, a sermon ends up getting sent off for virtually nothing. Well, he'd been on a stag during the week. Gary Lineker made a big play on this on Match of the Day. Mm. It was like either his stag or one of the other referees' stags. Apparently, a bunch of the refs were on a stag anyway. Yeah, Which might have explained. So well, he was still a little bit groggy after well, that, the stag. That, that was the, the implication <laughs> that, that was the, that had. was the actual gag that he made. Maybe he's hung over. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know. I presume he didn't go on the stag the night before the game. That would have been bad uh, call. Yeah, I, hey, referees have to have a social life too. Murph, don't look at me like that. He, I mean, okay. So, so, so that's when I assume is going to get banned because you can't get away with an elbow like that. That's a that's a three match ban. The referee didn't take any action. The the referee can't now claim to have seen what he saw, seen what happened, because if he had, then Zlatan gets sent off, and he's gonna be, he's gonna miss three matches. What about the stamp on his head, and also the stamp that preceded that by Zlatan on Mings? Well, the, well, this is the thing. I mean, it did look as though Zlatan maybe maybe stamped on on Mings a bit, but he didn't really stamp on him. You know, he kind of missed him. So was that a stamp? I'm not sure. But what Mings did. Did you think it was deliberate? As Danny Murphy or somebody said, you can't tell 100%, so you have to go on your gut feeling on these things. Yeah. My gut feeling was he deliberately stood in his head, yeah. <laughs> okay. Did that, was that Danny Murphy's feeling as well? Or? No, he, was, he went the other way. See, the problem with it is that it's, it would be so psychopathic that you almost hesitate to believe he could have meant it. Because it's, it's just like, what? Are you, how could you possibly have decided to do that? You could kill him. Like, you could actually... It's not like when Robin Van Persie had the ball banged off his head that time by the Swansea player. You know, and Ferguson said, you got to kill him. You actually could kill someone stamping... A, a man of Mings' size stamping down with studs into someone's skull could... Yeah, I mean... I'm losing my nerve now in my, in my gut feeling. My gut is being overwhelmed by your evocative language here again. I actually don't think that it was... Intentional. Oh, you're. Why not use some of that raised, extra grass, all that green stuff around beside the head, rather than Zlatan's I think, actual um, head? I think. I think you know. Certainly, you if if you put your mind to it, you could stamp a man to death. But I think this was like, you know, his head was there. I think his head was there. I think you know, a sort of a glancing stamp was what he may have been going for. Hmm. Well, that's what he got, I suppose. Because I mean. It, it was remarkable, given the given the obvious force that was that was behind that foot, how quickly Zatan got up and how undamaged he appeared to be. Because he then marched straight up to Mings and was like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, you don't go too far. Don't worry, you know." And then and then stalked him in the penalty area, stood behind him, and then nailed him. I mean, he, I don't think Zatan would be ashamed. Of, and what Zlatan said afterwards was was almost a posturing comment of, "Oh, he jumped into my elbow." You know, he was like, yeah. I mean, Mourinho said, Zlatan is a big man like me. Uh, he said, we're not the type to go crying to the media. <laughs> so Mourinho and Zlatan for once reunited in what's, what goes on the pitch stays on the pitch. Uh, but I think we all know that Zlatan is going to get banned. Whether Mings gets banned is, is going to be controversial because the main 
reason for banning Mings at this point is to avoid the next 18 months of, of comments from Jose Mourinho. That, that, that should not be relevant, but will nevertheless be a factor in the, an unspoken factor in the decision that is made on Mings. Literally, if he doesn't get banned and Zatan does, they'll never hear the end of this, you know? But I, don't, I honestly don't think that it was intentional what he did. Unfortunately, we can't come to a conclusion on that because we can't read the mind of the, the young man in question. A uh, quick word on the Champions League rights. Um, well, the Champions League rights have gone for a very good price. Very good price. I mean, we've been speaking a little bit about the um, the panic or, or maybe a certain sense of ooh, trepidation about the future in football, which, which is currently benefiting from these enormous uh, rights deals and yet sees... Uh, ever shrinking audiences and wondering how long this you know <laughs> how long these two trends can continue um, but no no reason to worry just yet at least uh, from the point of view of the Champions League um, who have just signed a new almost 400 million pound a season deal with BT Sport um, pretty amazing uh, this is for the UK rights BT Sport obviously are, are immune to any worries about. I mean, you got to remember what a big company BT is, and also the fact that television subscription television is not their industry, as it is with, for instance, Sky. Their real industry is broadband, and broadband obviously isn't going well. At least as far as we, as far forward as we can see, <laughs> in the next uh, two years, broadband is going nowhere. The future looks good for broadband for now. Um, so BT maybe aren't as concerned about these kinds of these viewing figures. I mean, as long as people continue to sign up uh, to BT broadband packages, then they reckon they're making money uh, and spending this kind of money on Champions League. You know, an increase in their previous deal is not a problem. From football's point of view, maybe it is a bit of a problem because um, the fact is that in the UK, very few, well, still not, not very many households have BT Sport. No, and ITV have now lost their highlight show. BT mm. have everything now. So if you're living in the UK and you don't have BT, you're seeing very little. B they're, they're trying to counteract this criticism by talking about how they're expanding their uh, clips that they're going to put out in social media and so on. They had the final and will do again on YouTube last year. Yeah. So they put certain things out for free mm. and... I, I assume that that's partly because this is the way sports, this is the way viewing habits are going anyway, but also it's a way for them to say to whoever gives out to them, uh, well, listen, they've nothing to, like, they bought the rights, I suppose it's a free market anyway, so maybe they don't have to be defensive about it, but this is the counteraction to that for the people who say, look, we can't even watch highlights anymore. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it is grim enough. I mean, it's, it's the Champions League. Lots of people just won't get to see it, or they, you know, they got to go to the pub. I mean, I was reading a piece there. I think it might have been by John Nicholson. I'm not sure, um, but the argument essentially was about it was it was after the Man City Monaco game, which is obviously an amazing game. We were all sitting watching it on like TV Three. If you were in Ireland, you could watch it on TV Three. Um, if you're in the UK, you could only watch this on BT Sports. So this amazing game. Hmm. Uh, was watched by you know, less than a million people. You know, if the game is on ITV, you're talking about six or seven million people, and it could be more, you know. With the, Peak a, audience for something like that is probably like yeah. into ten, people, uh, over 10 million. People are like, oh, this is quite good. I mean, every time you flicked onto the game, there would have been almost another, you know, a change in score. Uh, it would have... So, so a game like that becomes a sort of big event and reminds everyone, oh, this is actually quite good, you know? Whereas if it's all happening in this kind of highly lucrative, yet totally secluded, almost gated community of television on BT Sport, it's kind of inevitable that by, by that process it begins to lose a certain amount of relevance. I mean, that's just a fact of it. It's, it's like... Uh, it's, uh, it's, but, you know, it's obviously one for, the, um, for, the, uh, for UEFA... To, to decide, and evidently they feel that at the moment uh, it's better this way. Well, let's wrap up today's report on sport. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! Coach!
we won against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. And you cannot call a player a baby. Our Miguel joins us from London Colony, from Arsenal's training ground, where Arsene Wenger has spoken to the press, Miguel, for the first time since the uh, the reports, well, for the first time really since he uh, dropped Alexis Sanchez over the weekend, but also since these reports came out of a training ground bust-up in the build of the Liverpool game. Nothing to it, according to Arsene. No, no, he didn't see any incidents, which of course we've heard before. Uh, but it was interesting, given given the last month, to be honest, I suppose, and given particularly the way everything seems to come to a head this week, he was in a surprisingly kind of chipper mood. Um, although you wonder how much performance was element of that, because even when asked about Sanchez, it was just kind of... The, the way he kind of looked at the guy who asked the question was almost as if kind of surprised to be asked, but then obviously had a kind of a the um, prepared answer. Yeah, Arsenal are, are saying that it's um, completely untrue because uh, he did he did follow on saying he didn't see an incident, which it would it says it's completely false. Uh, but of course, I mean, when everyone around the club is talking about it, um, there are evidently two sides to the story there. Why would Arsene Wenger just deny reality like this? Everybody knows something happened. Um. I think, to be honest, that was what struck as well. That he didn't even kind of um, try and get around the issue by putting his response in any sort of creative way. He did talk about Sanchez's excessive anger, which is probably his one stop to the story in that sense. But it, what, like, what struck was the kind of the strength of the, of the denial. But yeah, as you know, I mean. Because 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 even the handshake before training seemed it was just so conspicuous it seemed like such an, an element of PR to it. Um, it's just it's just trying to create I suppose a united front at a time when the team as well as kind of falling apart in the pitch regularly maybe has that danger of being stripped apart with, with Sanchez so clearly thinking about the possibility of leaving if not having decided to go and um, and, and, and evidently so so many training ground issues. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, there's no point in in discussing this nonsense anyway. I mean, we've we've already sort of been through the, his direct football nonsense. Um, yeah. There is there is an issue here though in terms of has Sanchez been uh, a sort of. I, I mean, what are your actual feelings about the way that he has kind of comported himself over the last few weeks? Do you think that there is a problem there, or is the problem that not enough people at Arsenal feel the way Sanchez does? Well, I, I wrote a piece about two weeks ago, which I got from except, exceptionally sourced, in that some coaches in the Arsenal training staff um, don't, but basically they always think they should be shouting at players, but then sometimes look at them and think they might start crying. And I think it's very, very evident there is just a softness that has kind of afflicted the club in that sense. Um, I, I think part of that is true, is just true Wenger's, the, the way he tries to coach, in terms of the way he, uh, he tries to to going to build this atmosphere of self-expression but I think that's almost gone it's gone too far the other way now and and, and just the sense around the whole squad is just a, it's too indulged you see you see it with all these players you see like the, the, the amount of players that are just almost given a chance for too long the likes of Walcott the likes of Oxley Chamberlain uh, the likes of even Giroud even the fact they didn't sign a replacement striker there is just so it's just this general air of softness and you feel them they they lack that anger so when when they are confronted by someone like sanchez it's and someone like sanchez with that rage he has it's it comes to as too much of a shock to them and, that, and that's obviously such a contrast from wenger's first 20 years i think i mean if you i suppose if you want an example of how a strength has become a weakness and how kind of the revolution goes full full circle in that sense. I think that's the ultimate proof because I remember Ian Wright talking about how when he first went to the club, after years of kind of the school of hard knocks, you know, George Gray would never give him any praise. Bruce Reed would never give him any praise. It was, it was, it was kind of creating this, this atmosphere of aggression, you know, that had to prove themselves. His, his very first game for Wenger, he scored twice against Blackburn and Wenger came up to him and said, um, that those were two absolutely brilliant finishes. And he, did, he didn't say it you know, in a, in a way of man management, it was more like an, you know, an appreciation for good football. And Wright said that you know, it had such an effect on him because it was the first time a manager ever praised him in such a way. Um, and maybe that was what that Arsenal team needed at, at that time because obviously it had that aggressive backline, something they lack now. But then they, they were to build something kind of aesthetic and creative on top of that. Whereas now, there's no aggression. Now they have someone that, that actually offers that aggression in Sanchez and you know, he looks completely out of place in a team that's, you know, I suppose falling down the table in that sense. And I don't want to use the, the dreaded uh, Saipan word, but it, it does feel an element about, about this. And kind of, you know, the star player who's obviously so much better than everyone else around them, demanding higher standards, but then 
just questions about how how even he expresses that. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole point. You know, at, at Saipan, you know, at the time, okay, I mean, at the time, I was I was completely thought Roy Keane was was saying what had to be said. You know, this is a guy who's who's set the standards. Everyone, it's everyone else's responsibility to come up to them. And you know, as time has gone by, I've kind of more comprehended the view that. Maybe Roy Keane could have behaved himself a bit better, considering he was captain of the team and, and what he did. You know, it turned out to be a bit of an overreaction to this situation, and uh, and he definitely could have handled it a bit better. We could have won the bloody World Cup game. We could have won. We anyway, we, we we digress. There is a little bit of that with Sanchez, if on a more pantomime level. I mean, he's the, we haven't really seen kind of any uh, or I feel reports of the uh, Hyatt Hotel-style meetings. But with, with Sanchez, sometimes sometimes you do think that I mean, it's, there's a very thin line between demanding higher standards in a very angry way and ensuring everyone conforms to our standards and ostentatiously throwing a straw to so show you, that you are you, the one that actually cares. Do you think that's what he's been doing? Do you, do you think that, that he's been posturing, he's an egotist who's just been showing off over the last while, that this isn't genuine from him, this passion that he's that he shows all the time by throwing his gloves on the ground and stomping around? Uh, I have to say, I think I'd lean on the side that it would be genuine, I think. But I, I think it is genuine with Sanchez. I mean, in general, this is a guy like the, the, at a club, they find it very def- difficult even to get him to do some of his um, his media and PR, PR obligations as a club. He's just not really interested. Um, so I, I think he does just, I think he does care. Um, there was also, he's just put out an interesting Instagram post along the lines of, um, when, when, when you show anger, or the true warrior, when he shows anger, it's not because he hates those uh, in front of him, it's because he loves those behind him. Uh, so, you know, maybe an, uh, <laughs> an element of, uh, of image management about that. But no, I, I, I do think he genuinely cares. I think, I think he's just a winner. And I mean, like, let's, let's be fair here. This is following the pattern of so many players before him. And it's all the worse for Wenger because this is supposedly the point when they have the resources to compete. But essentially, it's one of their best players getting frustrated because they're not winning enough. It's a completely human reaction and it's a completely natural reaction. Miguel, we'll leave you to it there. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks, lads. The training pitch is all scraped. Somebody's got somebody's to hold a hand up and say, it's like training on a car park. No, 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 no regrets about it. No. As soon as you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. Who, John Delaney? He could have phoned me. Of course he could have. Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. As an ex-player and as an Irishman, and I mean an Irishman, uh, born and reared here, then I, I felt I was entitled to give my opinion. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. Why would you turn it off? Let's put on silence. You just gonna let it ring? All right, it's good manners. <clears throat> if that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention handball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it, and Ireland never grabbed it. Usual, usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. But they can complain all they want, and all these players. Complain all they want. It's not going to change. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. Tommy McGregor has emailed in to ask a serious question. Do you think that Wenger thinks he is doing a good job? All the best, Tommy. <laughs> Short and sweet email, Ken. Uh, Do you think Wenger thinks he's doing a good job? I assume so. I mean, why wouldn't he think that he was doing a good job? And if he doesn't think he's doing a good job, why would why isn't he doing a good job? If you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. If he was sitting there going, I'm doing a terrible job, well, why not write down a list of things you could do to maybe improve that aspect of your life. You maybe know? he doesn't care. No, I, I assume he thinks... Yeah, maybe. So, you know, we all have weeks like that, Ken. We, we you, know, do. you just come into work Monday morning, you know. He looks at, at Mesut Ozil and he's like, oh, oh Mesut. I've got to work with this guy. No, Mesut, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from, you know. I mean, I feel, personally, my work last week was outstanding. And this week, I just don't feel quite as up for it. So... <laughs> You know, next week is another week, and hopefully things will be back to uh, peak performance or something like it. Steve, listen, you've been doing a great job. I'm going to hand over the reins to you this week. Knock three times on my door uh, <laughs> before you before you come in for the foreseeable future. Uh. We're, we're, we're all human beings. Mm. None of us is a machine. Sure, if we were machines, we might be able to mechanically just produce the same performance consistently week after week after week. But, you know, as a human being, sometimes you you, you dip a little bit and um, and then it's all about the bounce back ability. Steve, this week's going to be a hammock week. 
Just going to give it to you straight this and Monday morning. Andy in Limerick, editor at secondcamps.com. Hey lads, long time listener, second time emailer. You didn't read out my last one, so I've tried to up my game mainly by praising you. That usually works, Andy. Anyway, really enjoyed the return of Murph's Country Pages last week. Thank this was you. part of the World Service last week, daily podcast. And the proposed return of Ken Burley. And with those old classics in mind, I was also listening to Ken describe in great detail Gareth Bale's moment of rage for Real Madrid. I was as horrified by the ultraviolence as you lads were. But what really got me going was Ken's shock and outrage and his ability to channel all this through his vocal cords. It reminded me of my favourite clip of all time when Ken was reporting on the famous Thierry Henry handball game in Paris. I just wondered, has Ken thought of monetizing this unique skill? That is from Andy. Well, I, I don't really know what Andy's talking about just yet with regards to Bale, so let's have a listen. Garrett Bale isn't even looking at the ball. All he's looking at <laughs> is Jonathan Vieira's leg. It's a great image you've got on there. So, so we're going to roll We're gonna roll this on. Now here comes Bale. Oh! Oh! Garrett Bale sides. Ah, I see where you're going with this. Now let's go back to that infamous night in Paris in 2009. Well, yeah, that's just Ken. Murphy, you're okay there? Oh! Yeah, that's uh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> It is good. And Simon's got a new hockey, so yeah. that's all good news. Very gravelly. I like it. Thanks, Ken. Mm, thanks, Owen. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thank We've you, got Karen. another show for you. We're going to record that, finish recording that now. Shane McConville is going to talk about a dismal day at Croke Park for Mayo. And we'll talk a bit of Hey Bellew, I guess. Was it an incredible battle between two injured warriors or a complete farce that proves beyond doubt that heavyweight boxing is completely dead? Well, you decide. We'll talk later on. Take care. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.